Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, depending on where you are listening from. This is the voice of A.B. Melchizedek, your servant, serving you all the way from the UK today. We'll be discussing the relationship between <clears throat> Gentiles and the law. Um, we've been coming on this series. We've been coming on a journey, rather, on this series on the law. We talked about introduction to the law, 20 things the Bible says about the law, the purpose of the law, and now we'll be looking at the Gentiles and the law. Uh, our main text today will be Acts, the 15th chapter, and I say, word of warning. Uh, I'm basically going to read the entire chapter and discuss it. That is all this episode is about. Uh, if you have your Bible, you can grab it and join me. If you don't, uh, just prepare to be inundated with a lot and lot of scriptural reading because that's the basic thing we are going to do uh, throughout today. Um, for those of you who may be unaware, Gentile simply means nations. As the, that's the uh, literal meaning of Gentiles. But in the context of Old Testament scripture, it was used to refer to people outside the nation of Israel. So anybody who is not Jewish, <clears throat> who is not born of Israel, is a Gentile. Now, why is this important? Because the Old Testament, and we will see this again when at some point we discuss how as Christians we interact with the Old Testament, having said everything we have said and we will say about the law. Uh, how do we interact with the Old Testament? We would uh, dig, we would discuss this more extensively. But suffice it to say, at this point, that the entire Old Testament was God's dealing with one nation, the nation of Israel. So, for the that's why, um, if you look at Matthew fifteen. That woman that came to Jesus for healing, Jesus told her, I was sent to the lost ship of Israel. So Israel was the priority because Israel was the recipient of the promise. You know, if you go to Romans 9, Paul says, my brethren who are Israel, of whom pertain the law, the adoption, the giving of the promises. Romans 9, somewhere between verses 4 and 5, you will see that. So because God had been dealing with Israel all this while, because the Jewish scriptures is what Jesus came in fulfillment of, 
Israel was the priority and is still the priority. And um, no, that's wrong. I won't say it is still the priority, but um, Israel still has a prominent role today in the salvation of mankind. As Jesus told the woman by the well, he said, you don't know what you worship, but we know what we worship because salvation is from the Jews. And I believe that's John, the fourth chapter, I strongly believe is the 22nd verse. <clears throat> so, uh, but then when Jesus rose from the dead, then for the first time he commissioned them to go everywhere and preach the gospel. Acts 1.8. But even in that commission, we still see where the priority or where it started from at least acts first chapter 8 verse but you shall receive power when the holy spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in jerusalem and in all judea and in samaria and to the end of the earth so um we see that it started even this great commission they were sent to israel first now why is this important because you are now going to see that as the church began to grow acts chapter 10 cornelius being the first gentile to partake of salvation and receive of the holy spirit but as the church began to grow then something started to happen since this thing was predominantly jewish and the laws were given to the jews so the pharisees started to say look uh, some of the pharisees who believed in jesus started to say look uh, they started to preach and to teach two different things which we are going to look at so without further ado let's just dive into acts 15. <clears throat> and we'll just i'm going to do it uh we will read and we will comment we will read and we will comment that will be uh, the format but uh, this is the foundation anyway um the gentiles had begun to receive of salvation uh saul of tarsus had become the apostle paul and was sent into the gentile nations and was doing uh wonders and signs and was saying salvations and healings and all that and then an issue started to crop up so they referred it to a council <clears throat> acts 15 verse 1 it says and certain men came down from judea and taught the brethren unless you are circumcised according to the custom of, Mo of Moses, you cannot be saved. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. So these guys, we are not even preaching Jesus at all. They were teaching the Gentiles that in order to be saved, you must follow the customs that Moses laid down. And again, it says certain men came down. And a theme in the book of Acts generally 
is that whenever he talks of setting a setting man or a setting woman, it is usually in reference to an unsaved person. Because if you say saved person, you will see the word disciple there. So these are certain men that started with this. So in all possibility, they were likely not saved. Verse 2, it says, Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. So what was the question? Is circumcision, according to the law of Moses, required for salvation? And if you want to do further reading on this, you can go to Romans 4. Paul discusses that subject very masterfully in that uh, portion of scripture. But then the Paul, you know, if you want to annoy Paul, there's nothing that annoys Paul more than the <laughs> more than uh, preaching a salvation by works. You know, read Galatians. The only time Paul insulted people, you know, in uh, the his two epistles to the Corinthians, Corinth was a very sexually licentious city. And those practices were preaching to the, were creeping into the church. So if you see First Corinthians five, Paul was complaining about a man and his father sleeping with the same woman, and he said, "Look, even Gentiles, or rather, even the unsaved, do not do this. What in the world is happening?" But in all of this, you will see Paul never insults them. He just keeps telling them, "Don't you know?" Reminding them of who they are in Christ. But the Galatian church who on the other hand, we are not necessarily licentious. They mixed the law and salvation by Jesus Christ. And you see Paul reserving his harshest language for them. He says, you fools, who has bewitched you? You as a fool, who has bewitched you? You know, he said, I haven't started in the, in the spirit. Are you not made perfect in the flesh? You fools. You witches. I mean, he says, who has bewitched you? Very strong language. I said, look, I'm afraid that all my work upon you has been in vain. He didn't even have that fear when addressing the Corinthian church. So this was a way to, you know, really seek Paul off. So he had no small dissension with them. But then they resolve that they go to a council. So verse 3. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy to all the brethren. And when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all things that God had done with them. So... Um, they were basically this, um, telling everybody what they had been doing, the kind of things they had seen among the Gentiles, the salvations they had seen, the miracles, the joy of the Gentiles at the gospel, basically. But then it says some of the sects of the Pharisees who believed. Now, these are Pharisees who had believed in Jesus Christ. Notice the first time he said certain men. 
But now it has said some of the sects of the Pharisees who believed. So these were believers among the Pharisees. Mind you, a Pharisee has spent, you know, at least 70% of his life at this point in time under the law, reading the law, knowing and studying the law. So this again had skewed or let me not use the word skewed at this point. It had tainted or it had made them inclined towards a salvation that incorporates the law one way or the other so in their estimation well of course they believe in jesus they believe he died and rose again but at the same time they had been studying this law for a very long time it was part of their life it was part of their psyche and everything so they just could not imagine a salvation outside this law and this is why we laid the foundation of the law being given to the jews even if we've you know, um, spoken relatively extensively on that in the first episode. So it says, now the apostles, I mean, verse uh, 6 now. Now, notice that, uh, again, before we go to verse 6, notice that in verse 5, they added something. The guys in chapter 1, in verse 1 rather, they were saying you have to be circumcised. These guys that believed in verse 5 said, you have to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses. So they've added keeping the law of Moses to the uh, prerequisites for salvation at this point. So that's the matter they want to discuss in the council. So verse 6 is where the council starts. It says, now the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. And when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, notice that this was a matter of much dispute. They gave these serious thoughts in this council. Do you tell Gentiles to be circumcised? Do you tell Gentiles to keep the law of Moses? Verse 7, And when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago, God chose among us that by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So God who knows the heart acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us and made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. So Peter's argument is this, that look, we discussed this earlier, and you can see that in Acts 10 and 11. That look, we've discussed this earlier, you know how, and it's referring to the incident at Cornelius's house. You know, where, in fact, to show you how, um, how much Peter's theology was upset you know, God had to show him creeping things that were forbidden under the law and told him, kill and eat. And he said, no. And then God told uh, Jesus or God um, told him. Uh, but again, I think I think uh, it says the Lord there anyway. Told him um, what I have cleansed. Don't call unclean. So the food that God himself was offering to Peter 
was food that was forbidden under the law. So that was how much Peter needed to be jolted from the mentality of the law. And his first words at Cornelius' house, after I told Cornelius to rise up, that he's a man of like passion and a man like him, he said, you know how it is unlawful for a Jewish man to keep company with a Gentile, but God has shown me I should not call any man unclean. So that incident was still fresh in Peter's mind, and that is on the strength of that incident, Peter is about to reach his conclusion. So verse 8, it says, God who knows the heart. You know, uh, verse 7, it says, you know a good way ago, God chose among us that by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. Notice the emphasis. Hear the word of the gospel and believe. Again, hear the word of the gospel and believe. Those are the two things Peter said happened. Or the, 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 the interaction between uh, or the, the, the interaction between the Gentiles, whom he was sent to at that time in Cornelius' house, and God, that the interaction was they heard the gospel and believed. Uh, verse 8 again says, but, So God who knows the heart acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit as he did to us and made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. So Peter is saying, look, this same Holy Spirit, and mind you, if you go back to Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit made his debut, you see Peter telling them that this was a prophecy of Joel, that in the last days I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, that that was the prophecy of the prophet Joel. So Peter is saying that this same Holy Spirit that they were making a big deal about in Acts 2, that God gave it to the Gentiles. And in so doing, he has made no difference, no distinction between Jews and Gentiles because the same thing he gave the Jews as a token of Jesus' death and resurrection, which is the Holy Spirit, he gave it to the Gentiles also. And what was the gateway to that? He says they heard the gospel and they believed it. <gasps> Excuse me, sorry. And they believed it. And Peter calls this process purifying their hearts by faith. So you see where he says, blessed are the pure in hearts, for they shall see God. And you say, oh no, we need to make our hearts pure. We need to... I mean, again, yes, the Bible says, whatsoever things are good, just pure, lovely, of good reports. If there's any praise and any virtue in them, think on these things. So without a doubt, yes, you are to walk in sanctification, you know, and endeavor to live the life of Christ as much as lies within you. But at the end of the day, the purification required to see God is a purification that can only be done by God. You know, we've said this before and we'll say it again for emphasis. If you get 99.9999999%, that's hell, you failed. God does not grade on a curve. It's 100%. That's his standard. Doesn't change, doesn't bend for anybody. So it's a standard nobody could meet. And he himself in Christ 
had to come to us and give us that standard as a gift. You know, so that's why it says purified their hearts by faith. And in so doing, Peter said he did not make a distinction between them. And it says, verse 11, but we believe that through the what grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we should be saved in the same manner as they. Now, how were they saved? According to Peter's argument, they heard the gospel, they believed. God acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit. And in so doing, God made no distinction between them and purified their heart by faith. But then Peter makes one last point. Or, I mean, before his penultimate point. He says, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? So the law is a yoke even the Jews could not bear. And we've said this before. I believe it's John 7, 21, where Jesus said, Moses gave you the law. He was talking to a multitude of Jews. He said, Moses gave you the law, yet none of you keep it. Acts 7, chapter, I believe it's verse 53 or 52, where Stephen said of the Jews, he said, you have received the law by a disposition of angels, but you have not kept it. Galatians, the sixth chapter, I strongly believe is verse 13, where Paul was saying, those people that are requiring you to be circumcised, they themselves do not keep the law. So it was a constant struggle. It was a yoke that they were not able to bear. So Peter is saying, look, if God himself did not stress the Gentiles in Cornelius' house, which he was referring to, then why are we, do we now know more than God? God knows their hearts. Why do we want to put on them a yoke God himself is not putting on them? A yoke we can bear, our fathers could not bear. And he says, we believe through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. We will be saved same manner as they. So there's a great, according to Peter, he's saying there's no, there's no difference between them anymore. Between Jews and Gentiles. Verse 12, it says, Then all the multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul, declaring how many miracles and wonders God had walked through them among the Gentiles. So at this point, Paul capitalized, Paul and Barnabas had capitalized on the points Peter made, and they were discussing the miracles that they had seen and everything that had happened, <clears throat> as if to further show the council that God was walking in the midst of the Gentiles. And how was this being done? Without circumcision. Without keeping the law of Moses. Verse 13 says, And after, and after, and after they had become silent, James answered, saying, Now, this is James Angle now. Men and brethren, listen to me. Simon has declared, as Peter, has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. 
verse 16. It says, After this, I will return. And he's quoting the book of Amos here. Amos 9, 11 and 12. I will read it all over again so that you can get the context. And after they had become silent, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, listen to me. Simon has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. And he's quoting Amos now, Amos 9, 11 and 12. He says, After this I will return, and will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will set it up, so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name says the Lord, who does all these things. He's done quoting now. And he continues, Known to God from eternity are all his works. So, um, James is saying now, that look, this thing Peter has said, the point Peter has made, is even in accordance with scripture's prophecy to the effect that one day the rest of mankind and remember old testament was written to who to jews so the rest of mankind refers to people who are not jews so james was saying that there's a prophecy in amos this particular prophecy to the effect that at some point the rest of mankind, and just in case there's any confusion, the prophecy says, even all the Gentiles, even there, I mean, means that it's just, it's a, what would they call this in English? Um, that it's an expository word, you know? It's, it's a conjunction, linking one point with another point. The rest of mankind, you say, the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the lord who does all these things so james is saying that yes this thing that has happened has even been prophesied that one day the rest of mankind will be able to seek the lord and that gentiles that is people who are not of the jewish nation will be called by the name of god so in light of this what does james say verse 19 therefore i judge that we should not trouble those among the gentiles who are turning to god what is the trouble he's saying they should not trouble them keeping the law that yoke that the fathers could not bear keeping the law and circumcision it says, don't trouble them with those things. Therefore, I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God, but that we rise to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled, and from blood. Those were the basics. Those were the basics. For Moses has had through many generations those who preach him in every city, being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. 
Now, what's happening here? James has said, look, if at all we need to give these Gentiles these rules, we can't trouble them with the same standards Israel was held accountable to. That is the law of Moses. What we can do is to tell them to abstain from things polluted by idols, and of which if you later read Paul's epistles, you will see he says that I, an, an idol is nothing in this world. You know, and that it, it all depends on conscience and some other things. You know. It says from sexual immorality, which is um, something that, I mean, was prevalent at the time and was strongly connected to idol worship also anyway. From things strangled and from blood. Now, I'm trying to save time in this video, in this, video, in this episode, but, you know, things strangled and from blood. Why were those things included? What is the implication? I mean, you know, for now, let's just go with it. Because if you read the Bible holistically, you will still see those things are, you know, they are not... They are not. Um, they are not the big deal. They are really not the big deal. You know, like I've told you what Paul says in later epistles and all that. But for now, let's go with it. So he says, for Moses has had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city being read in synagogues every sabbath so he's saying look with these laws we are in a sense not neglecting moses entirely you know so it was sort of like a give caesar what belongs to caesar kind of situation look everywhere you have jews everywhere you have a synagogue we've been preaching from this law of moses so it's not entirely uh it's not entirely the full picture to exclude everything moses altogether but what we can do is that by giving them these rules we have acknowledged moses so we are not telling them to keep the law of moses but in keeping these things we've we've told them abstain from things polluted by idols abstain from sexual immorality abstain from things strangled, abstain from blood, by these things, we've given homage to Moses. You go to verse 22. Then it pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch, with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, who was also named Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men, leading men among the brethren, they wrote this letter by them. The apostles, the elders, and the brethren, to the brethren who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, 
Syria, and Cilicia. Now, notice they want to put their resolution in a letter. And then look at what they said in the letter. Greetings. Since we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with words, unsettling your souls, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we give no such commandment. So two things. Number one, he said, look, they are troubling you with words. They are unsettling your souls. So you see what bringing the law into the context of the gospel does. Is in this light, if you look at what Paul says in Galatians 6, I believe it's 17, it makes sense. Let no man trouble me. So he was saying the law and the context of the whole of Galatians, like I told you, it's the it's the law of Moses, you know, a church keeping the law that Paul was you know giving a verbal verbal spanking to, if you would. Let me just fish out that verse in Galatians 6. It says, Let no man trouble me, for I bear the mark of Christ. Galatians 6, verse 17. From now on, let no one trouble me, for I bear in the body the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, um, I don't know, I'm trying to look for another one here. I think it should be in Galatians too. Where Paul again makes reference to uh, people who trouble trouble them, and the context was also the law. But again, it's possible I'm mixing up a verse in Second Thessalonians one. But anyway, I digress. But again, you see, it says, "Let no man trouble me." So the law, bringing it to the context of the gospel, had two effects. It was troubling. And it was unsettling. It unsettled their souls. And again, do you remember why this would always be the case? If you don't remember, then you should listen to the last episode. Because we said that the law, whenever you feel guilty in comparison to the law, whenever you go through that Romans 7 experience, when you try to keep the law, it is because the law is doing its job. That is what the law is supposed to do. So, uh, but again, back to our topic for today. Say, trouble them and unsettle their souls by saying you must keep the law and keep and be circumcised. And then he says, to whom we gave no such commandment. So even the council was disowning them. Say, look, those people preaching those things to you, we never told them to preach it to you. So this is their resolution now from verse 25. So it seemed good to us being assembled with one accord to send the chosen men to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hmm. May we be referred to as this. 
you know, that we just give up everything for Jesus. Uh, obviously, I'm not saying abandon your family and live under a bridge, you know, but in whatever you are doing, it's possible for that to be a sacrifice to Jesus. And wherever you are, it's possible for you to be an ambassador of the kingdom. And may this just be us. I, I love this description. Says men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who will also report the same things by word of mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these things. I take that again because that's important. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden. Now, why did they say the Holy Spirit? I strongly believe, this is my own conjecture, that it is in light of that prophecy one, and in light of the fact that Peter had seen people receiving the Holy Spirit without the law of Moses. So again, I believe this Holy Spirit portion ties in with those earlier verses. So that point Peter was making about Cornelius and uh, the Gentiles being given the Holy Spirit. How? By hearing the gospel and believing. That coupled with the prophecy in Joel gave them authority to say it seemed good to the Holy Spirit to not lay any burden on them. Why? Because there was no burden on the house of Cornelius before they received the Holy Spirit. And the prophecy in Joel says the tabernacle of David will be raised up. Not of Moses, of David. And if you read the, if you know anything about the Old Testament, you will know David was a, a, a New Testament-minded person living in the Old Testament. You know, this is a man who, when he slept with Bathsheba, normal protocol, you go to the temple, you offer sacrifices. But what did he do? I believe it's Psalms 52 or 51. He said, look, God, you don't delight in offerings. You are looking for a contrite heart. So even in the Old Testament, David knew that the heart of the matter was not sacrifice and offerings. So he didn't offer any sacrifice or offering. He just went with a repentant heart and he obtained forgiveness and mercy and grace and favor in the sight of God. So I think is is a very key point here that the prophecy in being referred to in the book of um, Amos 9.11 verse 12, 9.11 and 12 rather, is the tabernacle of David. And again, who is Jesus, the son of? The son of David. Well, I mean, yeah, again, we, 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 will, we will discuss that. I know some of my, the Bible scholars will be thinking, well, I mean, he's the Lord of David. Well, that is correct. But don't forget, in as much as he's the Lord of David, Revelation 22, I believe it's verse 16, it says, he said he calls himself the root and offspring of David. So the roots of David, 
David came from him, meaning he is the Lord of David. He is the roots of David. He, I mean, he created all things, including David, but he's also the offspring of David, the root and offspring of David. So there is a truth in saying he is the Lord of David, and there is also a truth in saying he is the son of David. Remember the prophecy about him in Luke 1, he said he will take the throne of his father David over the house of Jacob. So, sorry, I'm just trying to confirm that in Luke 1 to ensure I've not, uh, I've not told a lie. Yeah, Luke 1, 32. He will be great. He will be called the son of the highest and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob. So, the fact that it was the tabernacle of David that is being raised up, makes sense because when that tabernacle of david becomes the christ the root and offspring of david and then david was an old testament saint with a new testament mentality so that prophecy in itself also did not lay any burden on the gentiles other than hearing the gospel and believing Verse 29, that you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. That was the letter. Verse 30, so when they were sent off, they came to Antioch, and when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the letter. Hear the reaction. Verse 31, when they had read it, they rejoiced over its encouragement. So you see, the, the fact that they had to keep the law was not something they, they were looking forward to, was not something that they enjoyed, was not something they, they salivated at the thought of. It was a big, big problem to them. It was indeed trouble, as the letter says. It was a yoke they could not bear, as Peter says. So um, it was a big deal. They were genuinely excited that they didn't have to keep this law. So verse 33, we are getting to the end now. So after they had stayed there for a time, they were sent back with greetings from the brethren uh, to the apostles. However, it seemed good to Silas to remain there. Paul and Barnabas also remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. So, um, if you go to the end of 15, because there's a part there which uh, I have no business reading uh, for this topic anyway. If you go to 41, it says, And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Why is that important? He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. How was he strengthening them? Where did he go? Syria and Cilicia. If you go back to 23 of Acts 15, who was the letter addressed to? The brethren who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria and Cilicia. 
So you see the connection? So he, in telling them they were not to keep the law, as agreed by the Jerusalem council, there was a strengthening. So what strengthened them, what made them rejoice per Acts 15, uh, 31? What made them strengthen per Acts 15, 41? Was that the 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 good news was they, they they should not be keeping the law of Moses. So you it's impossible to look at the Bible and bring up the law of Moses as something that should be kept for salvation. And as if to clear all doubts, Acts 21-25. Acts 21-25. I mean, context here was... I mean, it's a long story, but, you know, I, I, I'm just addicted to giving context. Pardon me. But uh, the context was Paul had this burden in his heart to go and preach in Jerusalem, which God didn't send him anyway. But he had that burden to go there. And then they were warning him that people are spreading uh, information about him, that he's teaching the Jews and the Gentiles to forsake Moses. The emphasis was, ah, oh man, I'm getting so deep into this. But again, you know, the, 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 the emphasis was, look, he's forsaking Moses, not that he was preaching Christ. It is just uh, the way the way things are presented uh, gets people, you know, uh, to react in a certain way. There's a way information can be manipulated to make somebody look bad or to disparage somebody, you know. There's a way an atheist will talk about Christianity just to disparage those that believe in it. You know, and there's a way we too can talk about atheism that believes uh, monkeys started turning into human beings, and then human beings from now on just decided this is this is the perfect level of humanity and have not evolved for that or having wings or being supermen or all those funny things. You know, so atheism, the belief is stupid as well, and we can present it stupidly and laugh at them also. But anyway, I digress. Um, so the emphasis, what was the emphasis to the Jews was that Paul was telling Jews and Gentiles alike to forsake Moses. So they told him, look, what you have to do is let these Jews see that you are not forsaking the law of Moses yourself, that you are keeping it. At least let it appear that way to them. So they told him to go into the temple and take a vow and all of that. And that's the context of what we are about to read. Uh, let's start from 24. It says, take them, be purified with them. Let's start from 23. It says, therefore, do what we tell you. We have four men who have taken a vow. Take them and be purified with them and pay their expenses so they may shave their heads and that all may know that those things of which they were informed concerning you are nothing, but that you yourself also walk orderly and keep the law. But concerning the Gentiles who believe, we have written and decided that they should observe no such thing. You see it? 
you yourself are keeping the law, but we've written to the Gentiles who have what believed that they should observe no such thing. So the emphasis regarding the Gentiles is on what believing. It's on believing. And regarding the law, it was written to them they should observe no such thing. As we wrap up and make this final point, you know, in law, there is something called privity of contract. What does privity of contract mean? It means that a contract is binding only between the people it involves. So, for instance, if I contract with a man to buy or for him to, to sell a piece of land and then he is to give me money. I have no business if the man does not pay. I have no business going to his brother because his brother is richer than him and pestering him to pay the money to me. Why? Because I didn't contract with his brother. I contracted with him. So the brother will say, look, there is no privity of contract between us. I'm not covered by your contract. Why is that important? Think of the law of Moses as a contract between the people of Israel and God, which it was anyway. It's called a covenant, which is even far more serious than a, than a contract. For instance, even in law, we have restrictive covenants and they can run in perpetuity, world, world without end, till Jesus comes. But then... The law of Moses was a covenant, a contract between God and the people of Israel. But then as we've discussed in earlier chapters, Jesus came and died on the cross. And it was that death on the cross that brought Gentiles into the picture. And that death at the cross abolished that covenant of the law of Moses. So you see, by the time the Jews get in, the Gentiles rather come into the picture, the same cross that brings them into the picture takes the old covenant out of the picture. So where is the privity of contract? As at the time the law was in force. Gentiles were not in the picture. By the time Gentiles come into the picture by the cross of Jesus Christ, the law is abolished. So there is no nexus between the Gentiles and the law. I hope you found that uh, a third informative, helpful. 
<laughs> and uh, just don't worry, just stick with me on the journey because as you are going to see, some people will be thinking, oh man, okay, if you say don't keep the law of Moses, does that mean I can live stupidly and do whatever I want and sleep around and do this and do that? Remember even in Acts 15, he said abstain from sexual immorality and all those things. So again, those are issues that are coming. Now you would see that the standard you are called to as a Christian, the law of Moses is a joke compared to it. Compared to it, technically speaking, you know, but again, don't worry, we will just ease into these things um, as we go. So, my point is, I'm not saying because I'm not saying, and the Bible too is not saying that you can live stupidly because you are not supposed to keep the law. Now, I will show you one, I will show you something very quickly as I'm rounding up now. First Corinthians, the ninth chapter. Um, Paul is, um, talking about his interaction, the length he goes to get people saved. And then he starts. Um, I'll start from verse 19. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win them all. And to the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews, to those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law. Now notice what it says. Not being without law towards God, but under law towards Christ. That I might win those who are without law. So two things stand out here. He's saying they are Jews, and he became as a Jew. To those under the law. He became as under the law. To those without the law, he became as without the law. But then he says not without law towards God, but under the law towards Christ, not towards Moses. So even if Gentiles are not obligated by the law of Moses, And again, we will still dig into this when we talk about interacting with the Old Testament and things. But there is still a law towards Christ that the believer is supposed to be under. What is the law? The law of Christ compels us. We, lo he, uh, we love him because he first loved us. So there is a law of love towards Christ that guides our behavior. But again, we will get into these things in depth. I'm just dropping this there so that you don't go, woohoo, I'm not keeping the law. And then you call five, six girls and say, let's have, let's have a six sum or seven sum because I've just learned I'm not to keep the law. That's very stupid, you know? Uh -huh. So, um, right. Uh, I think that is my time. Why do I feel like there was something else I wanted to mention? Uh, okay, well, I mean, yeah, that, that's my time. Um, thank you for your attention. Uh, remember, life is short. In the context of eternity, nothing matters except what you do for the Lord, what you do for his kingdom, what you do for the gospel. Take care.